Welcome to Health, Fitness and Success, uh, your podcast and guide to winning everything in life, um, particularly fitness. So, and my health. name's Ben Tormey. Oh, fuck. Uh, my name's oh, Marky. No, no, no. Fuck, fuck, no. No, no, no. I'm going to get it right. I'm going to get it right. No, well, you, didn't fuck up. you didn't fuck up. I just I... went over the top of it. Ah, oh, right. Okay, fuck. Never fuck. mind. Yeah, we'll, we'll roll again. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. I thought I'd fucked up because no, of last yeah. time. No, you didn't fuck up. Uh, um, right, okay. But, welcome to. <laughs> well, you did fuck up though. Welcome to Health, Fitness, and Success, Episode 5. Only God can judge my squats. Welcome to Health, Fitness and Success, your podcast and guide to winning everything, especially fitness and health. My name's Ben Tormey. My name's Mark Eves. And first up, we're going to be talking about the CrossFit lawsuit. Um, which a lot of you will have probably seen in the context of articles um, saying that CrossFit was suing science or, or something to that effect. Um, and the NSCA, um, you might be aware, have a journal, which is the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research. Um, and in that journal, they published a study, and it was the Devon study. Um, and CrossFit sorry, the Devil study, and CrossFit as a whole, as an, an organization, um, have made, uh, well, they filed a lawsuit, okay, and um, it seems to be the main issue they had was that this study was essentially pointing to a high, higher injury rate in CrossFit um, than you'd expect with maybe other training uh, programs, and, and they were arguing the data was kind of... Um, questionable and that um well they had an issue of course because crossfit is a huge brand now it's a huge money-making business and anything which um puts them in a bad light is, is obviously going to hurt that so they had an issue with that but more fundamentally they had an issue with the way the editor-in-chief of the nsca um seemed to have well allegedly behaved uh in phone calls and correspondence um so mark you, did you have a chance to have a quick read through the um the article here yeah, I had a little bruise, bruise through earlier in the week when you sent it to me. Um, to, I don't really know what the fuck's going on, if I'm being honest. All I see is a bunch of uh, quotes and shit. Um, I, I kind of like dig out from the article that basically the, based off the NSCA's um, position statements that they're not willing to comment on the veracity of anything published in their journal. Yeah. Is that correct? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. It, it's basically it's it's kind of um, it's kind of a ridiculous situation because you've got CrossFit suing people for publishing, you know, ju- you know, journal articles, studies, peer-reviewed science, but then you've got the NSCA publishing stuff which they they don't seem to have enough information to really have an opinion on. So um, it's kind of you can't really side with either <laughs> either of them really. Um, they both seem to be somewhat in the wrong uh, in this case, which, and, but then again, it is, you know, it's trendy to laugh at CrossFit, so. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, there's a good reason for that. Um, 
Yeah, uh, I just just one thing about the Journal of Strength and Conditioning and uh, it's wonderful. Um, so you're, you're, you'll be aware of what an impact factor is. Um, yep. for, for anyone, readers, our readers, listeners who um, maybe don't have a sports background or a sports background, um, who don't have a, a science background, impact factor is basically how you rate the quality of a journal. Um, it's basically based off the, the amount of times that um, articles published in that journal are cited by other papers. Um, so just like if we look at Nature, which is one of the biggest journals, um, or certainly one of the most respected journals in the scientific community, has an impact factor of 35.59. Um, in 2011, the, the Journal of Strength and Additional Research, which is the NSCA's journal, uh, let's make sure I got the right one here. Um, yeah, it had an impact factor of 1.8. So, if you compare like one of the major journals to that, I mean, we're talking orders of magnitude of about like 18 times more citations. Um, if you look at something like the American Journal of Sports Medicine, another sports science journal, it's got 3.8 impact factor. Uh, American Journal of Physiology is 4.7. So, um, even within the sports science community, which isn't one of the largest um, scientific communities. It's not one of the better journals. It's kind of like a moderate quality. So you can take from that what you will, but um, I always I wouldn't um, take anything that the JSCR publishes to heart. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because the impact factor now is such a huge thing in academia because you kind of your academic career lives or dies on on the impacts of your publications and and that often means uh, positions in universities um, especially in the UK now where you don't have tenure you know where you don't have the same sort of tenure situation that people have in in the states um, you kind of have to seek out the really prestigious journals whether or not they're, they're high quality it doesn't matter so much um, but the ones which have that impact uh, factor you discussed there um, it applies to you know it's every it's every academic subject really isn't it it's not yeah. just sports science uh, yeah it's pretty much every um ac- well scientific or otherwise pseudo scientific um academic academia like social sciences biological sciences physical sciences um and back factor is just like it's just it's just a measure of um, how influential the journal is it's not necessarily how how good the journal is per se but you can pretty much infer from the impact factor like, the sort of quality of science that gets published in it. I'd yeah. have to say that just because it's published in that journal means it's a good study, um, but it certainly increases the likelihood of it being a good study. Yeah, and certainly in mathematics, I've, I've seen situations where, um, without naming any names or, or going into any detail about it, there's been research published in a, you know, in a major journal which, with a high impact factor, which is essentially duplicating work which was already done in a less well-known journal. So, you know, the result was already proven in a paper that someone else published. Uh, but of course, the the high impact journal is the the publication. You know, that's the publication which is the one you know that everyone reads, and and so often the work is attributed to someone it shouldn't be, and. Um, so it's, but that's so, the way it is, unfortunately. Someone in science taking um, credit for someone else's work. <laughs> yeah, no, it's never happened. I, before. I can't believe that's ever happened. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, actually, on that point, right, uh, 
completely unrelated to what we were going to talk about, but um, there was an article about the woman who invented Kevlar. The very first comment I saw was basically <laughs> saying it's a sad loss for science that he has died. <laughs> <laughs> so that tells you everything you need to know about uh, the role of women in science, especially, uh, you know, discovery of DNA uh, numerous other Radioactivity. <laughs> yeah, radioactivity. That had absolutely no impact on the century whatsoever. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so moving on, we've got uh, we've got another BMI story here, which is uh, it's always good because we we don't like talking about BMI, do we? So well, I mean, it's such a terrible measure. And I don't even know <laughs> why we insist on talking about it so much. Just, I mean, <laughs> so, what what we've got here is like uh, another victim. Of the NHS and um, government's um, hatred campaign against the fitness community. So basically, what we got here is a kid who had a BMI of uh, 41.8, 11 year old kid with a BMI of 41.8, obviously through working out, um, <laughs> whose uh, parents got arrested from the Sussex or North or the, North, the Norfolk County Council uh, Police. Arrested them for like uh, child neglect and cruelty for making this kid work out and getting swole. Um, <laughs> uh, the 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 kid uh, was five foot one inches and fifteen stone. Um, so basically, uh, Mr. Olympia, right there. Yeah, pretty much uh, of one hundred percent natural gains. Um, so yeah, <laughs> well, I think that's enough sarcasm. Um, yeah, so basically, this uh, these parents got arrested because um, teachers and uh, doctors. Of this kid kind of raised the point with the police that they were worried about it, the kid's welfare, and um, so obviously the the rational thing to do is arrest them um, <laughs> for uh, child cruelty and neglect. Um, I, I, my own take on this is, is fucking ridiculous. Um, there's no real like what's to say this kid doesn't have a dyslipidemia or some other factor that is making him prone to being fast fuck. Yeah. Um, it's um, and in the context of of child abuse investigations across the country, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure there's more deserving cases out there where you know the police could be involved in. I remember there was some outrage a little while ago. There was a case on on the radio I heard where be, there's a child that was literally eating out of bins, and the, and the the um, damn, that's dedicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he's going after those gains. But, uh, <laughs> No, the the teachers at the school just hanging really... around, uh, joining yes bins, <laughs> yeah. trying to get some just use needles and jump on them. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the teachers at the school didn't didn't do anything. I mean, they knew that this kid was obviously coming into school in a pretty awful state. Looked as though they hadn't, you know, got much personal hygiene. Looked, uh, you know, like wasn't eating very well. And um, and yeah, they didn't do anything. And and here we've got something at the other extreme, which is. Kid, yeah, he's obviously quite obese, this child, but, uh, you know, to infer child abuse from that is quite a step. Like you were saying, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, a little bit of a hop, a hop skip, skip and jump that. Um, yeah, I mean, you would have thought the first step would be to have involved their GP or, you know, some sort of healthcare professional. Uh, to, to, to be fair, I think the, the GP was involved in getting the police involved, so. Oh, I see, right, got you. Um, there must have been something going on, but. What really annoys me about this article is the fact that they use 15 stone as a marker of weight. What the fuck is 15 stone? It yeah, actually pisses I, me I off. Um, so I've got to do 
Cal- calculation to work that or work that out what that is in real weight. It's 95 kg. Um, this yep. kid. So that's that's it's pretty fucking heavy. Um, yeah, it's like, the kid's obviously massively obese. But how many other children in the UK are massively obese? And how many of those ch- children's parents are in jail? And is that really the the answer? Well, yeah, the solution is put the child in care where he's obviously going to grow up to be a balanced adult, uh, you know, no sort of psychological issues as a result of all this. Yeah, uh, it's pretty interesting. I mean, how much intervention is too much intervention? I would venture this is probably too much intervention. Like, you can't you can't arrest everyone, every parent of fat kids. It's just... Uh, I don't see where you go with this. Like, do you prosecute them, put them both in jail, and then, as you say, put the kid's parent or put the kid in a foster home or put it in care? Oh, yeah. I'm sure that probably will work out well. I mean, surely some some education, you know, maybe maybe psychologists to work with the family, nutritionists. I don't know. And there must have been something that could have happened before yeah, this nutrition. intervention. Nutritionists could probably take gluten out of his diet. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Curum of autism and obesity. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um. Yeah. So I don't really a huge amount to discuss here. I just thought it was fucking ridiculous, and we chat about it. Yeah, but uh, but there you go. But but this shows you know BMI is useless, of course. Oh, of course. Um, I mean, I'm sure this kid would have a completely um, normal uh, lifespan. It wouldn't die prematurely. Yeah. I mean, when I see that a child a child of five foot one inches you know 11 years old has got a bmi of 41.8 that doesn't mean anything to me because i i just don't understand how bmi is a, you know a useful metric it's, yeah, it's crazy i mean it doesn't take into account muscle mass for yeah, starters, I so exactly i mean so how, do, how do i know that 11 year old isn't a huge bodybuilder i do I, well, clearly this kid works out i mean no no one with that high a bmi doesn't work out right i mean i thought it was the swole police that actually arrested the uh <laughs> the parents This is hitting, man. Fucking pencil necks. <laughs> can't uh, can't let this kid enjoy his gains. Um, yeah. So BMI again, fucking up people's lives. Uh, right. That's um, quite a quite a good segue because the next one's about the sugar tax. <laughs> yeah. Again, <laughs> following a very similar theme. Um, again, on the from the BBC News website, your. Uh, I'm trying to open it here. For some reason, Google Drive doesn't want to open it. Just copy and paste it. Yeah, so, oh, for fuck's sake, 404. Why you do I've this? Got it here. It's, it's fine. It's, um, the title of this article is. I've got it. I've got it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've got it. I've got it. Can I? I'll chime in. Uh, title of the group. Or the group? Oh my god. T- title of the article is uh, Health Group Calls for Sugar Tax. To cut child obesity, again with the child obesity. <laughs> uh, there's a pretty good like there's bullet points down the down the bottom here. Um, so the seven proposed measures are reduce added sugar in food by forty percent by 2020, ban all forms of targeted marketing of ultra processed unhealthy foods and drinks in children, foods final form, disassociate physical activity with with obesity by banning junk food sports sponsorship because reducing the, the sponsorship of sports is a good thing. 
reduce fat by 15% in ultra-processed foods by 2020, limit the availability of ultra-processed foods and sweetened soft drinks, as well as reduced portion sizes, introduce the sugar tax to insensitized healthier foods. And then there's some spiel. Um, Dr. Seem says... Uh, the, the UK requires the implementation of its current strategy, starting by setting incremental sugar reduction targets for soft drinks this summer. No delays, no excuses. It is is really shameful that food in, the food industry continues to spend billions in drunk food advertising targeting children. How dare a company try to make money? And um, it's <laughs> it's time to bust the myth of physical activity and obesity and, obesity and disassociate junk food and sport. Uh, but we know some people eat too many calories, including sugar. Children, ob- childhood obesity is at its lowest since 1988, but more should be done. That makes no sense. <laughs> Next week, we will get expert scientific advice on sugar, which will help shape future thinking. We will consider these recommendations as parts of this. Gary Tabules will be their expert advisor. Telling them that all cars are bad. Um, that I, I made that last bit up. Um, yeah. So, what do you think of this? Um, well, it's it's a shame this is all coming too late to save the kid with the BMI of forty plus. Uh, so, but yeah, yeah, the the actual idea of a sugar tax is just <clears throat> is ridiculous um, for a number of different reasons. But there's. I mean, like you, you picked up on an interesting point there, which is the idea of sponsorship and, and having sport and junk food associated. I mean, for me, that's probably the biggest thing, because if you actually look at the policies that a number of these big companies have, um, they do have community based projects like Coca-Cola, for instance, that do a huge amount of investment in community projects. They, they do have an ongoing commitment to to health issues. And I know that it's not it's not really you can't defend manufacturers which make you know what you call junk food for producing that and marketing it to kids right you can't defend that behavior however i don't think like you were saying that removing that link between sport and 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 food companies is going to help anyone because who's going to pay to actually you know get these projects which get kids into sport running and who's going to actually promote them Uh, so it's not going to be it's not going to be the government because um you know, they were the ones that in the UK uh, presided over all of the sports fields and facilities being sold off. So, I mean, that was years ago, of course, not not modern times. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, the government aren't going to be the ones to put all that money into it. So I just I just don't see how this is like a kind of I don't see this being a realistic idea, even if it was the solution to, to no. obesity. I would venture not either. I mean, as someone who works in professional sport, I have somewhat of a vested interest in that. Um, but yeah, I think it's fucking ridiculous. Um, like taking out, um, like betting sponsorship from uh, from sports. I don't really agree with that. Taking out tobacco sponsorship from sports, I don't agree with that. Taking out like drink sponsorship from sports, I don't agree with that. Like because this, yes, these things have negative. Um, uh, impacts on society but one of the few things that have a pretty much universally uh, positive impact on society is like sport and exercise 
like local rugby clubs, local football clubs, whatever the case is. Like this puts a lot of money into into those kind of like you're saying, like Coca Cola, Lugzade. Um, there's loads of like sweet manufacturers have like uh, uh, activity for school things where kids bring in wrappers or whatever it is, and they give a, a X amount of money for like sports equipment for schools. And they do like they they probably do more good for physical activity for the UK than the than the government do. Like, yeah. Substantially more. Like, the and only reason we can have um, professional teams in the UK is because of these kinds of sponsorships. Uh, like professional football, professional rugby, professional cricket, professional whatever it is, all it does is raise a profile of sports and exercise in the UK. Now you look at when England um, won the World Cup in 2003 for for rugby. Like I'm sure if you were to look at the trends of participation in that sport in the country, I'm sure you'd see a huge upward swing. And the only reason that the England rugby team could do that was due to sponsorships and the money that they could invest and that to have the the quality of a team to win the World Cup, and that had a massive um, positive impact on the on the sport in England and the UK as a whole. And also, if only there was um, some kind of trend where the government taxed something like maybe alcohol increasingly more, uh, <laughs> and we could look at what happened that trend. So, like pretty much every uh, Budget since I can remember the the duty on alcohol goes up. I'm looking at a graph here um, that tracks the liters per head of alcohol consumed in the UK from 1947 to 2009, and it's pretty much just a an upward trend. Uh, it kind of yeah peaks in the mid 2000s and falls a little bit. Well, I think prohibition for sugar basically is it's going to be the answer. Um, that's, I mean, get rid of it completely. You know, make it make it illegal to have sugar. That's, that's probably um, a good idea. Um, and then we can ban fat. Then we can ban protein. Well, yeah, because yeah, because as we know, protein is is going to kill you. So obviously, and um, we'll just subsist on a diet of leafy uh, greens. I, I really um, wish I'd done a correlation with um, the the tax rate and the alcohol consumption in the UK. I think that'd be really interesting to look at because I'm looking at the two graphs right now. Pretty sure you get a strong correlation between the two. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, the thing is, as well, the sugar tax. I mean, call me self-centered here, but that I don't like the idea that I have to pay more for unhealthy food if I, oh, you know, if I live a lifestyle which can allow me to indulge in it without without any negative side effects. So it's the same thing with alcohol, you know, just because some people do stupid things under the influence of alcohol and, you know, but, abuse their bodies with it, it doesn't mean everyone should... Like that, that, that argument um, that the cost, that the, 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 the cost burden on the NHS is ridiculous because the amount of tax that tobacco uh, consumers take uh, and um, drink, the much tax they pay into the through um, VAT more than covers the cost that they have on the yeah. NHS. Well, like, this the NHS is the thing. Profit, or the government makes a profit even taking that into account. So this is the thing, though. If you want to, and just being serious from them, not even not even making any jokes at this stage. No troll. The, if, yeah, no troll. Uh, this is serious. Side is serious. I've got the serious tags here. Um, 
the real problem for the NHS in the future will actually be uh, the elderly because we're all living longer. Um, we'll have all of the diseases and health problems associated with age. That problem isn't going to go away anytime soon. So what we're going to do, we're going to punish people, tax people who live a healthy lifestyle because they're a burden on the NHS. I mean, where do you draw the line? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah that was a pretty, the definition of being a victim of your own success. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I'm really not a fan of like um, putting like tax burdens on things. I I'm a big believer in free choice. Yeah, I believe if people want to like drink to destruction, let them. That's that's my view on it. I mean, if you're stupid enough to do that, then fair play on you. It's and it's difficult because you you I think you're bringing up a more kind of involved economic point, which is that if you if you have any sort of belief in free market um, economics, and, and obviously that's down to the government and their policies and all of that, then you can't just implement taxes like this um, independently of your overall economic policy. It's not going to work. You can't just start bringing in taxes on sugar and, and, and talking about junk food and stuff like that because, you know, this we're trying to manipulate markets, which, are, you know, these are huge multinational corporations making billions of dollars. And it's not a simple thing just to introduce some some punitive measures that will, you know, to tackle a problem which isn't really directly linked to um, to any of these foods. It's the overall context of of our diets, you know, that that's the problem, not not individual foods. But anyway, yeah, you, you can you can die just as fat overeating fat as you can overeating sugar. I guess yeah. just as fat. You know what I mean? Yeah, so we need to tax fat, obviously. Yeah. Obviously. I'm pretty sure um, someone's tried to do that, if not already done that, some stage. Anyway, um, yeah, so that covers that one. Um, next one we're going to look at is um, a study that was done on diarrhea consumption of protein. And they basically found that um, a higher protein diet Increase your likelihood of, um, or decrease your likelihood of having a stroke. And the quote from the article, each increase of 20 grams per day in protein, about the amount in a three ounce serving of chicken, fish, or a cup of beans. Again, a cup or three ounces. Fuck, a shit pisses me off, man. <laughs> What's it in grams? Only the USA uses that. You're not the world. Anyway, um, was it associated with a 26% decrease in risk? A dose-response relationship that further strengthens the association. Yeah, so every... I wonder how linear that is um, for every 20 grams. Yeah, a 26% decrease in risk. That's Yeah, um, I mean, that, that the dose-response curve can't possibly be linear. Um, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Basically, eat steak and be immune from, sto- from stroke. Yeah. I like that. So um, I, 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 could, I could eat steak... Drink red wine and live forever. Yeah, don't don't forget that resveratrol. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. This is an interesting one because what he says at the bottom there was, um, you know, increasing intake of fish or vegetables is recommended. So I wonder how much of this, because you, uh, just to pick out a paragraph here, it said that um, there's some evidence to suggest that animal protein is slightly more effective than vegetable protein, Neither but there wasn't. 
Yeah, but there wasn't enough data on vegetable consumption to reach a definitive conclusion. So I wonder to what extent you'd need to more you need to do a more detailed analysis to pick out how vegetable consumption had an impact on on yeah, the stroke yeah. risk. I always wonder how much um, comments like that are a hedge as well. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, at the top, getting more protein in your diet through not red meat may reduce yeah. your risk for stroke. A review studies found. Like, did they pick that out from the data, or are they just saying that? Yeah, it's it's slightly fishy, isn't it? Um, yeah. Because <laughs> there's so much like noise about how bad red meat is, um, like how good vegetables are for you, how good fish is for you, versus they just uh, they, they always want to like because it, it's quite a quite a common thing like not to not to be seen to be too kind of pro anti-establishment not to be too pro like meat as like a healthy thing or with yeah. alcohol you wonder like how much like these comments are just like moderated by the by the authors want not to not to be seen as like uh, some kind of radical or something <laughs> um, yeah well, well nice to see a positive link between protein and the health for once yeah, I'm glad we're not all going to die um, yeah. <laughs> for enjoying a steak. Gotcha. So. Is there any truth to like meat being bad for your heart? I am fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, I don't. I don't even want to live if that's the case. <laughs> you know? I'm going to die at the age of 31. <laughs> <laughs> I eat a lot of meat. Oh God. I'll be uh, you know good night, sweet prince. Oh well. At least I'll die knowing the taste of a of a rare steak. <laughs> uh, right, so um, moving on to uh, uh, you know one of my favourite blogs yeah, yeah. out there. This is Depth Privilege, which is uh, about squat depth. It's basically you know if you've ever been you know shamed by someone at the gym saying that your squat wasn't deep enough. This is about recognizing that every squat is beautiful, no matter how. No matter how deep it may be, you know, it, does, it doesn't matter if it's ass to grass or you know, hardly breaking your knees. That is a beautiful thing because you are squatting. Um, so don't forget that. It's a beautiful thing. Um, like as we all know, the third law of squatting, no one can judge the depth from the front, back, side or any angle for that matter. It's impossible. Yeah. I mean, I see a lot of posts, you know, on Facebook talking about, you know, deep squatting and stuff, and I just think, well, we've been brainwashed by the media to believe that that's, you know, beautiful, um, and, and that's the right range of motion. But I think, what if I don't want to squat deep? You know, what, what if I want to put on triple ply suits, 500 meter knee wraps, and quarter squat 500 kilos, and call it a good squat? I mean, who, who are you to judge me? Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to take part in a a new name federation with three people in it and call myself the world record holder. You're just hating. Yeah. It's the worst kind of hating though, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, and I, I just think, you know, every, every squat deserves a white light in a meet, um, because they turned up, they did their best and it was a squat. So they showed up. I mean, taking parts half the battle, surely. Exactly. It's, they always say it's taking part that counts. And that's the reason, you know, kids, that's, I think, probably 
you know, maybe to generalise a bit, that's why we have this child obesity crisis, because kids are being taught to squat, you know, with a depth that isn't, you know, it's not attainable for the average person. They look at pictures of, you know, celebrity squatting with full depth and they just think, I, you know, I could never, I could never squat like that. And so they give up. Um, and that's. That's it. I mean, if you look at all those multiply fans, they're all, uh, the figure of fitness. All these guys. Every one of them, like Dave Tate, great shape. <laughs> um, Jim Wendler, great shape. Um, Louis Simmons, great neck for his age. Yeah. He just, just moves so freely. <laughs> He's got great mobility. He's yeah. got great mobility. Doesn't waddle around like a fat fuck with snapped up shit. I mean, these guys never get injured, of course, as well. No, no, exactly. Oh, he's completely injury free and they, they don't really, uh, they don't use any painkillers or, uh, or anything of the notion just so they can train through yeah. the, the, the three inches of beautiful range of motion that these guys move through. <laughs> and it is a, it's a, it is a, a beauty to behold the lesser seen quarter squat. <laughs> uh, so beautiful. But when it takes you like, 30 minutes to get into your suit with five mate, mates helping you in so that then you can stand up, not even walk it out, quarter, like not even quarter squat in some cases, um, just to stand up and just get in three beautiful whites. No questions, refs up cheering. Yeah, man. New all-time world record. Living the dream. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... It's what it's what really all of us want it is. for our squats. Um. It is what, it's what the sport should be. <laughs> Zero participation. Two hundred two thousand pounds worth of equipment. Your mates doing it in your mates' garage, getting them white, them sweet sweet white. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> yeah, um. yeah. I, <laughs> I should leave. Uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, leave a link to the, the, the Tumblr blog. Um, it is hilarious. Just, um, re- just remember, only God can judge my squats. <laughs> okay, so that neatly brings us on to uh, the main topic for the week, um, which is <laughs> the, uh, the report on how the U.S. healthcare system compares internationally. Um, USA. USA. <laughs> So let's have a look at this uh, this article here. It's uh, it's called um, Mirror Mirror uh, on the Wall 2014 update. This is who's the deepest scholar of them all. <laughs> yeah. and it's by the Commonwealth Fund, and um, and this uh, they've got a nice little table here, um, and we've got the USA basically uh, the bottom um, in overall rankings. Bam, so. Yeah. And then we have um, we have the UK at number one, obviously. And-
I've just you know stood up out of my seat there to uh, to look at my picture of the Queen. God save um, the Queen. <laughs> yeah. um, God bless her. Just and and all who to hail her. Yeah, and I thought I thought of a joke for this. Um, God bless her and all who sail in her. All who ail in her. All who ail in her. Ah, nice. See, nice. It's a sort of little uh, pun there. I uh, see what you did there. Right, so um, that I mean that was awful, but yeah, uh, moving on. <laughs> um, this is quite a substantial, uh, you know, bit of research and um, smash this, eh? Yeah, it's it's really detailed, and I, I I've got to admit I was actually surprised to see the NHS coming top because I I would have expected I don't know maybe Norway and Switzerland. Well, you mean the BMI Nazis? Yeah, the, yeah, the BMI Nazis. Yeah. I would have expected Norway, Switzerland, Sweden to outrank us, but um, they were beaten back into, you know, second, third and seventh place. And, you know, having recently witnessed England uh, underperforming in the World Cup, it was nice to know that the UK is still capable of, you know, producing some international results. My my favourite one is efficiency is number one. Yeah, yeah, which if you've ever experienced the NHS is going to come as a shock to you. (laughs) Quite scary. Yeah. We're the most efficient healthcare system in the world. Yeah, um, and and it's free too. And it's free. It's if and you yeah. don't have a job. Fucking scrudgers. So yeah, if you live in a country <laughs> where you don't have universal healthcare and you're paying for all of this, um, yeah, sorry for your loss, basically, because you know we've <laughs> this proves that you do actually get uh, an amazing standard of care, um, and. My, yeah, I, my favorite point in this entire thing is that in the U.S., like one of the biggest kind of arguments against having a nationalized healthcare service is the cost. You fucking what, mate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like in the, the, as here, the U.K. cost per capita for the NHS is three thousand dollars, three thousand four hundred five dollars. In the U.S.A., where you pay for your own healthcare insurance. The cost per capita is $8,508, nearly three times as much. USA. USA. <laughs> USA. And yeah, it's interesting because um, they, they came dead last in a number of these, I mean, you know, these rankings. So the overall ranking, dead last. Cost related, you know, so the access was, they were in ninth. And the cost related problems, category 11th. So. So yeah, uh, not surprising when you see what the health expenditure per, per capita was, but uh, yeah, efficiency eleven, quality eleven, healthy yeah. lives eleven. Fuck, healthy lives would be fair. We're ten. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, but um, we we make it, we make yeah. some gains. Yeah, we just did that. We just let everyone else have that one. You know? <laughs> yeah, good boys. So overall ranking one, quality care one, effective care one. Safe care one, coordinated care one, patient centered care one, access one, cost related problems one, efficiency one, equality second. That's that's a, a bronze medal in equality. Thanks for the or sorry, that's over. <laughs> in the in the in the in the international healthcare Olympics overall winners. Yeah, and that'll be the only medal we can probably expect uh, for a while, but um but yeah, it's nice. I just know we won something. Yeah, I think for all like all the hate the NHS gets, this is just like a big fuck you to everyone who's hating on it. 
Yeah, and I, I'm actually surprised that this wasn't. I've not really noticed this covered um, that much in in the media, uh, our press anyway. Um, I would have thought this would have been a big deal to to talk about, you know, a result like this, which kind of puts the NHS in a in a better light than it's it's been cast in, <laughs> you know, in most most of the recent <laughs> media stories we've seen. Yeah, it's, it's nice to have a chirpy um, story, especially for the UK listeners. Um, uh, we're the best healthcare system in the world. Yeah, who'd have thunk it? Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not me for one. <laughs> ah, it's good, man. But you know, David Cameron might have something to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> mm, uh, privatize it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that seems like the best way forward. Um, yeah, because it's not working at the minute, is it? It's, no, it's broken. It's broken, Britain. Um, it's completely broken Britain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me. Oh, yeah, sweet. I think we, we could delve further into how fucked up the USA healthcare system is. Um, we could, but, um, yeah, we, we're busy busy guys. Don't have time to... Don't have time to <laughs> unfuck un- that. I, I just find it hilarious. Like, anyone who, like, Posted on like bodybuilding.com or any kind of American forums. And anytime this kind of thing gets raised, it's just, it's mental to see them defend it. Absolutely mental. Wherever, like, breaking bads. <laughs> like, I know, it's, I know it's drama, but, like, the, that kind of just shows, like, what, one of the biggest cultural successes of the, well, certainly the last 10 years from the USA. Basically, central um, antagonist. This guy becoming a drugs baron is the USA healthcare system. When a guy gets cancer, and it would bankrupt them to get the treatment. Yeah, and what I find funny is how a number of states now want to legalize uh, drugs like marijuana, where previously they were incarcerating people uh, for you know for selling it, um, and you know. I've seen a number of my friends talking about this online, basically making the point that now when rich white men want to make a profit from selling drugs, it's all right. But uh, when poor black people want to do the same thing, uh, you know, it's throw them in jail time. <laughs> but if a rich black person wants to sing about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We give them a Grammy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Hypocrisy. Anyway. Yeah. Nice bit of news. Well done. NHS. Bravo. You're okay. Um, right, so I'm going to move on to shout-outs. So I've got two today. Um, first one's, uh, I've just finished a book um, called Market Wizards. I just say I pull up the Amazon here so I can get this guy's name. Um, very good book. Highly recommend you read it. Um I don't, you don't have to want to be uh, a stockbroker to get anything out of this book. Um, there's lots of really interesting takes on things. Um, obviously, guys who are hugely su- successful, their take on like philosophies on life. Um, there, there is quite a lot about trading, but I there's a lot of things you can take out of it that um, kind of you could take in as a philosophy in the life. Um, yeah, the, the the author of the book is Jack D. Swager, and the book's entitled Hedge Fund Market Wizards. 
how winning traders win. Um, so I think it was the second interview, the third interview. Um, he interviewed a guy from Bridge Bridgewater. Can't remember the, the Bridgewater is the name of his brokerage or his hedge fund. It's one of the two or three biggest hedge funds in the world. He manages assets of over a hundred billion. And I, I just thought like his kind of um, work-related um, philosophies were great. Um, most successful traders, I just I had made notes on it when I was listening to it, so I should read them out. Um, most successful traders start at a young age, don't do it for the money, they do it because they're compulsive. Um, they would do it anyway, basically. Don't do it for money. Um, market thoughts are different from those taught in school systems. School teaches that mistakes are bad and not a learning opportunity. Markets show you to value what you don't know and to learn from it. You're never always right. People shooting down your ideas helps you to make it right. You must be an independent thinker, but if you're, if you are an independent thinker, there's a reasonable chance you're going to be wrong quite a lot of the time. You need to be assertive, but open to change in any ideas. And, uh, so Bridgewater, his company, have, as their, as their core philosophies, Openness and honesty are crucial. Um, they put it across that you have to be honest to a fault or as transparent to a fault. If you want to say something, you have to say it to the face. Criticism is actively encouraged. Um, they take mistakes as learning opportunities. If you expect to make mistakes on the way to becoming right, you will do well. Um, like it's so better than their, their, um, their uh, policy that like so then they. Uh, in like a meeting, they record everything. So any kind of formal meeting, they record it all, and it's all it's all like um, stored and archived in case like someone says so and so said this or so and so said that. Like it's there on hard record, so there's no kind of bullshitting. I just thought like that was like that particular interview. I thought had some brilliant um, kind of philosophies on in the workplace. Something that a lot of places could do well to take on board, or people could do to take on board. Things like being open to criticism and actively encouraging criticism is something that I think a lot of people, especially in like the health and fitness industry, could take on and be open to, not to automatically put the shutters down and be um, defensive as soon as someone questions your ideas. Would be a would be a really positive change for a lot of people, I think. Um, yeah, you want to add? Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think those are some great points, um, especially. Especially we are being open to criticism because I think it's it's easy to get married to certain ideas and, and ways of thinking about things and then because that becomes the way that you do it, it becomes your approach over time, you adopt certain methods. When someone criticizes them, it's like you feel like it's a personal attack on you. Um so you might react emotionally when really you should just say, Okay, well is this an opportunity to to learn, to maybe refine what I'm doing? Um and I think that's a really great point, especially, um, yeah, especially in the health and fitness industry where people just don't 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 open themselves up to criticism. Yeah. They've got some pretty ropey working habits. Um, they don't document things. It's very very sloppy a lot of the time. Yeah. Also, um, uh, I really like that one. If you expect to make mistakes in the way to becoming right, you will do well. Uh, I really like that point. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's fantastic because it's people who 
who I think in my experience, people who doubt the quality of their work, people who are always looking to improve and feel like the stuff they've written isn't good enough or their programs they've written are never quite. I think those people are the ones I see making the most improvement, whereas people who put something out and they think, yeah, that's amazing, that's perfect, tend to stay very static and often are the ones that don't produce the great quality work. Um, yeah, I yeah. think um, like they're, they're really expunged upon. Um, like if they have like a market strategy, they'll put it towards the floor and actively have people to shoot it down, like just pick holes in it. Like um, yeah. people do something similar with like their anything, like your like if in work, if you have a strategy that you maybe want to implement, if you're like a leader, you're like a team leader or a boss, if you open it up to the floor and let people pick holes in it, like. Especially things like retail industry where the people who maybe make the policies or make the rules aren't actually on the floor dealing with customers. Yeah. They were more open to like a bottom up kind of process. I think the, a lot of like things like the customer care and stuff would improve a lot. Um, yeah, it's really good. Um, really like that, that interview alone is probably worth the, the price of the book. <laughs> um, some, some really great points. Like if, yeah, if you're managing a hundred billion dollars worth of stuff, you must be doing something right. Yeah, you'd like to think so. Anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's great. I think I think the point about when you've got people collaborating on a project, you need to have um, criticism is great because if you look at the Star Wars films, you can see what happens when a single person with creative vision it goes unquestioned throughout the whole process. Um, Comes train wreck. <laughs> Misa Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> oh God, Sweet getting traumatic flashbacks now. Sweet Jesus. Oh God, oh, terrible movies. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, I thought it was good. Um, did anything else you want to chat about? Regarding yeah, that? just just quickly um, shout out for. Oh well, can I get my shout in first, or do you want to go? Yeah, you go. go no, go you go. Ahead. Then I'll go. I've, I've, I've talked enough. Uh, maybe I don't want to go first. Um, yeah, okay. The, the yoga workshop we're running here in Newcastle. Um, that's Saturday, the 12th of July. Gotcha. Just for people, uh, people in the Northeast or if you can travel, that'd be great. Um, it's three hours of, of yoga for beginners, um, and intermediates. And it's going to be aimed at people who just want to add another facet to their training because over the years I, I've realized how important mobility is staying you know, staying injury free. And I, I, I guess I underrated the value of stretching and, and stuff like this, um, for too long. And for me, this is a great way of adding something in to my strength training that is complementary. So, um, it's not, it's not aimed at people who just want to, you know, get a mat out and do some really easy stretches. This is really for people who kind of want to work and, and, and build something useful into their existing routine. Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, definitely, uh, it's one of them things where I don't think anyone's ever said, "Fuck, I'm too mobile." Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm moving too except, well. Except Louis Simmons, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the, the kind of articles that, like some of them parlors put out about how you don't want to be too flexible because you want to be stiff through certain ranges of motion. Hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, that sounds great. Like, I think there's a, definitely a gap in the market for that. Some kind of um, stretch tra- mobility training aimed at like lifters or, or like, you know, 
CrossFitters yeah. or whatever. And yeah, people well, who take um, training seriously. Well, yeah, it's, it's run by um, Nicola Hobbs, who is a champion weightlifter herself. And, and the really brilliant thing about Nicola, um, which is when I first saw that she was doing all of this stuff, uh, you know, it's, it's the fact that she does actually lift. And so she understands how yoga has a place within strength training. And that is the, the biggest difference for me with the usual, the traditional sort of yoga Pilates stuff is that it's not aimed at someone who is there to build real strength with barbell movements. It's just fantastic to see this. Does she even lift? Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, does. confirmed. Can't confirm, does lift. Nah, that sounds really good. That's something I'd like to check out if it wasn't 100 miles down south. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, certainly an idea I might tap into up in Scotland. Um, yeah, <laughs> so uh, my, uh, my, my second shout-out is just to, like, um, so within the kind of Strength and conditioning community is called Mass Runner or Max Aerobic Speed. And it's basically, you take, you say, say you run for three minutes or you run for five minutes. And like maximally, so you cover like 1400 meters as quickly as you can. And you take that number as like your maximal aerobic speed. So, and you take it in meters per second. And then that's how quick you can run and, and be doing it aerobically. So say you run it like four meters per second, then you can use that, you can extrapolate that out into like workouts so you can work over distances, you can work in time frames, you can work in any, any kind of modality you want. You can extrapolate it out to like rowing, cycling, whatever. But basically what it lets you do is, um, well, I, I personally think that like the, the high intensity interval training gets far too much credit. Um, I, I don't think it's a very efficient way of like doing conditioning training. Because what it does is it, it kind of eats into recovery. Like anaerobic activities, high stress, takes a long time to recover from. Like a hard anaerobic session might take two days to recover from. Whereas like a, a fairly strenuous aerobic session, you recover within it, sometimes within like 30 minutes an hour. Um, I've had guys do like mass sessions and then come into the gym and like lift pretty much like PVs and squats and cleans. Um, one guy in particular who was like an absolute um, aerobic boss would do that quite regularly. He felt that if he went out and did a running session, it would actually like prep him quite well for um, lifting. He'd feel, feel like um, after about half an hour, he'd feel like warm and ready to go. But it's something I've used um, extensively over the last kind of five months, really. And something I've seen like a hell of a lot of return with. Um, there's one case study in particular who I'll, I won't name names, but this guy was um, rehabbing from a shoulder injury um, and over the course of his like 9, 12 week rehab process we took him well I took him from um, 90 kilo body weight to 96 kilo body weight and he dropped his skin folds I think about 9 mils, 10 mils which is equivalent to about 1 or 2% body fat um, we took his max bench from 130 to 142 Took his max chin from 130 to 150. Took his max squat from 170 to 190. Took his speed time, 10 meter speed time down, 30 meter speed time down. Um, and also increased his yo-yo from an 18.1 to an 18.7. So uh, the yo-yo's um, intermittent recovery test that we use to kind of plot your VO2 max. Um, it's used quite regularly within team sports. I like going from an 18 to a 19. It's basically going from a fairly well-conditioned player to a really well-conditioned player and like 20 and up to like an exceptionally conditioned player for rugby. 
And so we managed to like get them heavier, get them leaner, get them stronger, get them faster, and get them fitter all at the same time. Uh, I put it completely down to this is one guy who I didn't really do any kind of like aerobic work, anaerobic work with. Um, some of the other conditions I would do with guys would be like kind of anaerobic circuits, like three minutes of hard work, maybe two efforts at it, and it absolutely fucks you. Um, and like we would used to do quite a lot of um like kind of speed endurance work with with speed sessions, but I was finding like that kind of stuff would chew the guys up. They get like a lot of hamstring issues, soft tissue issues. And, but when we kind of removed that from the program entirely, ran kind of two, two of these running condition sessions and a couple of like off feet sessions, not really that taxing. And the amount of progress these guys can make it, like these guys can make progress in the gym, running, like they, they can be, very much do the, do the lot. And I put it down completely to like this stuff, like not really taxing your recovery so much. Um, find it extremely useful. I think it's something that like a lot of people uh, that are like CrossFitters or bodybuilders or whoever you are, you engage in like um, conditioning training. You can learn a lot from doing this kind of stuff. Um, it's not not really tiring. Like it's tiring at the time, but you don't wake up the next day feeling like you've been hit by a car. And it's very <laughs> very, very effective. Very. Effective. Wait, you're telling me you should cycle through, you know, training intensities as a you know, as a way of recovering from training, I just maybe if my you mind. Don't train maximally for conditioning. Yeah. Maybe rely on a dose response that's specifically targeted at your fitness level and is progressive. You might see better results and tax your recovery less. Does mm. that sound weird? Does sound weird because I thought what you had to do is try and do everything at once, you know, as, as intense as possible. <laughs> um, but yeah, actually, this is fascinating because I, I think this is something I've I've kind of noticed. People get on the uh, high intensity interval training bandwagon a lot for things like fat loss, um, you know. Which and people often ask me, well, would this be better if I did some high intensity intervals? It's just like, well, no, I've I've put low intensity stuff in your program for a reason. And that's because, you know, if you're doing several HIIT sessions a week uh, and you're training, what, three, four times a week on top of that, I mean, good luck actually making any sort of meaningful inroads to recovery. Um, and I, it, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go on. I was just going to say, I saw a really good um, article lately. It's um, in the US Journal of Endocrinology and it's called Energy Flux and Its Role in Obesity and Metabolic Disease and it's basically saying that um, as a biological system the human body is kind of designed to maintain a high energy flux and so what you I mean it's just a bit like what John Berardi was doing years ago with his idea of the, the G-flux diet which is eat a lot of calories but you do a lot of activity um, and it kind of fits in with what you're doing there where you said that your guy um decrease skin folds while doing more activity um and i see that as applying this principle of using the appropriate level of intensity and you know obviously i think um from my end the guys i work with are professional athletes so they're doing uh, an extreme amount of activity anyway yeah yeah exactly but but for this guy he managed to like we're talking about a guy who's got training he's been weight training since he was probably 16 He's only like 23, 24, so he, he's got a training age com- comparable to my own, 
And he managed yeah. to put on <laughs> six kilos of muscle mass and get fitter at the same time while getting leaner. I mean, for someone of a high training age, that's I guess quite a powerful yeah. um, like transformation for this guy. But that's I, phenomenal. I, yeah. <laughs> I, but I put it down purely to to the conditioning I use with him. Like with the guys I work with, um, I, I kind of my my take on weight training is probably completely different from most of the conditioners I probably worked with before. Um, whereas I come from like a powerlifting kind of strength training background, so. Uh, like I I would program them probably more like the guys I work with get stronger and heavier anyway, but they don't always get like leaner as well. And this guy got significantly heavier and got leaner, and I put it down to like the like the the fact that his his conditioning wasn't eating into his recovery. Like, hey, he was sore and stuff, but everyone gets sore when they're training for like twelve fifteen hours a week. Um, yeah, I, I saw. I've been having immense success with it. I know it's something that's like kind of catching a bit of fire at the minute um, in certain circles. And there's a guy called Dan Baker who's a conditioning coach for the Denver, not the Denver Broncos, Brisbane Broncos rugby league team. Probably got the name of the team wrong, but the guy's name's Dan Baker, and he's got some, got a lot of stuff on uh, maximal aerobic speed training. It's probably worth uh, checking out if you're interested in conditioning and lifting weights. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. Um, I mean, that's a really good point that, you know, especially when you think of what we were talking about earlier with powerlifters who do, like, no conditioning work and have no mobility. I mean, I know that doesn't apply to the guys at Westside necessarily because they tend to do a lot of conditioning work, but I think it does illustrate the point that some of us are so afraid of not doing, you know, doing too much work um, that we neglect, you know, a little bit of active recovery or, conditioning work which will actually make everything more efficient uh, for me one of the biggest training mistakes that people make and certainly one i make is the, they don't do enough conditioning work because um, conditioning work is, is a form of active recovery but it also allows you to eat more food and not be a fat fuck which <laughs> is both there are positive benefits and also it's got health benefits and all the rest of it and um, yeah i think like couple of running conditioning sessions a week. This kind of sort of running conditioning isn't going to cause you to to not be able to lift hard. In fact, it might increase your ability to lift hard because you recover from sets faster. You'll recover from your workouts faster. Um, you'll have higher energy day to day because you're fitter. Uh, it's it's all pretty much all positive when it comes to conditioning if you don't smash the fucking arse out of it, which is what most people do. Yeah, but the only the only downside is that you won't be able to brag about never doing cardio on the internet. So you know, swing, swings and roundabouts. So you can be a fat new neck virgin, kissless virgin crew checking in. <laughs> Perma bulk. Um, okay, so that's the shout out session section. Um, so yeah, I'm just gonna kind of quickly go over the comments from the last week's episode. We actually got some comments again. We well, we got quite a lot of comments actually. Quite nice. We too, got, maybe uh, too many comments. I, I don't know if I like people. all these. No, 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 no. Nineteen comments is good. More comments the better. Um, so we'll start from the bottom up. Gynomorph, ten out of ten. We'll listen again. Was laughing throughout. You guys are some funny fuckers. Are very knowledgeable guys. Smiley face. Um, should manless be allowed to vote? So what do you think? Should manless be able to vote? Or are you in, yourself a manly? What, what are you? Um, no, I'm. I'm slightly over six foot, so I'm not uh, in manlet territory. So I, I, no matter what happens, I will be voting. Six, six foot master race checking in. 
It's like, yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah, I, I myself not Manly. Uh, I don't think Manless will ever learn personally. Yeah. Um, silly Manless. Um, Adam PF twenty six. Good listen. Funnest one yet. Fat fuck coffee. Lulz. Um, Jody Mullen. Fark taking over the iTunes. I think we we're, we're not on iTunes yet, are we? Um, you had plans to get on iTunes. Yeah, I plans to get on iTunes and then life took over and then it didn't yeah, happen. You done goofed. Done goofed. Consequences will never be the same. Um, Emma Story Gordon, I want to be your hater, but then never sent any hate mail, so that's not being a very yeah. good hater, Emma. You can, yeah, step up your game, Emma. You can try harder yeah. than that. Yeah, too busy eating Brussels sprouts. Yeah, loves a Brussels sprout. Probably our first probably smell horrendous. Um, <laughs> Brandon Elliott, good one. Seems as if you guys were a little looser on this one, which made it more entertaining. Could have been the creating though. It does do that. It does, yeah. I like I like to say to Brandon, I was I was feeling exceptionally mad during the recording of that, so you, you seem to have calmed down a little bit. Have you cycled off creating maybe on some BCAA? Well, I was you know I was make, trying to make ends meet and pay for my creatine, but I just <laughs> you know, I was selling you know, stealing stuff from my friends' houses, putting that, you know, on the black market, and, that, you know, unfortunately, I, you know, I got caught, and it's just, I'm not proud of what I did, but... It's it's common problems for the for the creating addiction. You're not alone, brother. Um, <laughs> Jimmy Bergens, um, you guys are fucking pricks. I am your first official hitter. Good podcast, though. That's it, mines. Yeah, fuck you, Jimmy. Um... Jimmy later says, if you want some more questions, how about HIV versus HIT, which is the worst for building muscle? Discuss. This might actually be one we might be able to talk about. Um, so is high, is it high intensity volume versus high intensity training? Is that right? Or, um, oh, I'm not sure. I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. I'm not sure. Is he trolling? I thought, I thought he was trolling us, to be honest. But, AIDS, HIV AIDS. Yeah, I thought he meant as in HIV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, well, that's actually a pretty good point, because if you're talking about the Mike Mesker high-intensity training, then AIDS might actually be more efficient for both muscles than Mike <laughs> Mesker's high-intensity training system. Yeah, yeah God, well... Uh, well, if think about it, if you have AIDS, then NHS gives you gear, thanks NHS, so you can build muscle. Um, like, by the way, with that, we're not advising anyone to do that, just to make that clear. Well, well, um, well maybe not say that. Uh, <laughs> you know, AIDS, free steroids... Yeah, yeah. Well, it's very very survival now. So yeah, thanks to science, it's survival, and you get free steroids. So yeah, yeah. Share some needles, maybe some butt sex with a questionable person. Maybe not. Maybe yes. I don't know. Not advocating it. Just saying free steroids is all. Um, if you want that, um, Jimmy. Also, please discuss Elliot Hus's frightened little king video. My God, he was a retard lemon lunatic before but now um, that's definitely something we will discuss at some point maybe not just yet uh, yeah, do you, have you seen, seen that video yeah I've, se- I've seen it well and uh, we might have a we might get a special guest on the podcast to talk about that um, yeah. our, our special guest hasn't answered his email yeah oh well fuck him yeah fuck him <laughs> fuck that guy um, yeah that video was uh, like gazing into the abyss um, it was I don't really know what people get from Elliot Hulse. He seems like an all right guy, but he's uh, full of shit and uh, likes to think that he's 
far more eloquent and profound than he really is. So. I think calling him an all right guy might be stretching reality somewhat. Yeah, I mean, he's an all right guy that, you know, deliberately misleads people and puts out terrible information. But I just meant on a, you know, personal level, he's, yeah, he's probably I mean, not. Helpful. I'm sure he's great around for a few beers and yeah, where he can talk shit. And, yeah. He's also I mean, got the worst parkling form in the world. I just want to put that out. <laughs> I was going to say, you mentioned beers. I think I would have to have a few before I could actually sit and listen to him. I, I, I think that could be a podcast special. Yeah, get drunk and then find out. I think we could literally, we could sit down some night, get drunk, and put that video on live, maybe live stream it. That, like that, for when we actually have listeners, that we could do that. When we, <laughs> when, when we get a live audience of more than one, basically, Yusef, um, yeah. refresh that page. Hi, Yusef. Hey, Yusef again. You didn't comment on the last podcast, you little fucking asshole. <laughs> well, what's that about? I, I thought he was our number one fan. Down to zero listeners now. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't even share it, did he? That fucking piece of shit. Um, yeah, so I think that uh, pretty much concludes another barnstorming edition of health, fitness, and success, or health, fit, and sometimes success. Um, I've been Mark, and I've been Ben. Mm-hmm.